1: post-match podcast daily euros edition with myself tim stillman back in the presenting chair again and i was going to say as ever joined by phil costa um, albeit phil wasn't with us last night for reasons we'll go into in a minute but phil great to have you back how are you doing
2: yeah good still very warm here in in berlin but hopefully this is kind of the home stretch of the heat wave and we can get back to some temperate weather so i can stop sweating every time i do these um <laughs> but yeah good to be back
1: yeah, we were, the, the temperate weather has very much arrived in London. It's very grey. I've got all the lights on um, and the windows closed. So I think the summer is over here. But anyway, the reason, uh, so myself and Paul did a kind of freeform jazz version of the podcast last night covering some of Saturday's games. But of course, you were at um, the big game on Saturday between Germany and Portugal at the Allianz. Um, first of all, how did you find the game generally?
2: I thought it was absolutely brilliant. I mean, whenever you're treated to six goals, um, you can't really complain, really. But for me, the dynamic was quite interesting because even when Portugal took the lead, I never I never felt as if, um, you know, the, the atmosphere changed at all. I thought it was very much still behind the team. Um, and I, I could maybe feel that transmit towards the players um, who never sort of changed their approach their intensity and you kind of figured that eventually they would break portugal down and they did so in in quite um you know conclusive fashion as as we saw
1: yeah absolutely and and just for listeners who perhaps haven't been to a football match um or any other kind of sporting or mass event yet um, since, you know, since COVID, what, what was it like it just in terms of, um, you know, getting into the stadium and the COVID secure element? Cause I, I've been to the Allianz a few times, um, in non COVID times, and it's, it's an absolute nightmare, um, usually to just to get in and get to your seat. What, what was it like from that point of view?
2: Yeah. I mean, obviously it was different. I mean, this was the first, um, sort of game that i I'd, I'd been to away from, um, Sort since COVID, because obviously I used to go to Arsenal quite regularly before, um, and then you know that was obviously fairly routine. You just go and queue up, and then you're in basically. But then now um, it was kind of interesting because we were there with with partners, so our route into the stadium was not um, you know the typical press one, uh, should we Easy. say? Um, so we kind of went through the back, and we had very much ma- very much sorry had like a our own sort of area um so it was obviously still the usual checks um you know the the negative antigen test um what they call it like here they call it a chanel test in germany which basically means like a quick test that they give you um and then actually so to be honest we were quite lucky we were set up pretty quickly and um and yeah we were just enjoying every moment of being there in the sunshine and with a with an amazing atmosphere so just really pleased to be there and grateful to not have probably had what most of the other journalists had which i presume was a much more rigorous um entry should we say
1: yeah yeah definitely why why don't we um we crack on with sunday's games then um only the two today um which which really felt incredibly sparse particularly as they kicked off at the same time like have not having that evening game or that afternoon game has has kind of thrown me a little yeah, bit whole, and it just routine gone yeah. yeah and it just really strikes you that that like that three um slots a day thing is gone now for the whole tournament that's kind mm-hmm. of it with the yeah. groups finishing up but um two games in in group a um italy of course were, were already through and then you've kind of got a bun fight between wales and switzerland um, I mean, Turkey were kind of outsiders in terms of uh, going for that third spot. But let's start with Wales, Italy, because I think that that was the slightly more interesting game. And full disclosure, it's the one I watched. Um, both both teams did, you know, were quite interesting with their starting lineups. Let Let's start with Wales, mm-hmm. um, who changed to like a three at the back, yeah, um, almost with Ramsey as a kind of re- withdrawn striker, which I know they they've done before. It, can you maybe explain what why you think they did that, um, and I guess at least in the first half, why it didn't really seem to work.
2: I mean, the way they were playing it before in the in the warm up games
1: was with Harry Wilson
2: in that position, mm-hmm. um, and I'm not sure him and him and Aaron Ramsey are very different players. I mean, Wilson's very much uh, a traditional wide man who. Um, you know, with good technique, likes to cut inside and, and shoot. Ramsey's kind of, I would say, a, a bit more aware of space and uh, what's uh, kind of around him and, and when to run, where to run. And in theory, you can, you can see it working because obviously the plan was for Ramsey to withdraw a bit. And then Bale and Daniel James would kind of come in from the wide areas and try and attack that space. So in theory, I could understand the move and obviously Aaron Ramsey's in, in great form. So the decision itself didn't particularly surprise me. I think it was wise to rest Kiefer more because I think he'd absolutely been in the wars during the first two games. I mean, he you had know, like head bandages and you know, I think he was out bloody nosed and for a while. So I think it was nice to just wrap him in cotton wool and he's on the booking said, it,
1: as well. Yeah,
2: exactly. Um, and you know, you're right, it didn't quite work. i maybe felt like the especially the the midfield, there wasn't much of a link or a you know a target to aim for with with Ramsey's freedom so um yeah as you mentioned it didn't quite work although I could understand it in theory
1: yeah and I think Wales also had an eye on the next round because they they rested all three of the players that were on bookings um Mepham and Ben Davis as well um Mm -hmm. were also kind of taken out and Italy um obviously already qualified they they went um one further and they made eight changes to the lineup um first of all did the number of changes surprise you and were there any changes in particular that kind of grabbed your interest interest before the game or even during the game
2: no i mean the number of changes didn't surprise me at all like you said they were already qualified so there was no real um you know there was no stakes for them because they were kind of there to enjoy the afternoon and, and give some squad players some minutes in their legs you know um that's the thing with Italy. I mean, if you look at who came in, um, some of the quality there was still pretty ridiculous and these are established, you know, European champions league players. So um, in terms of who caught my eye, I think Alessandro Bastoni coming in, um, into the, into the defense to replace Chiellini was an interesting one. I I really enjoyed his season for Inter. Um, usually he would play on the, on the left side of a three, but today he was obviously back in the four. So Maybe that was slightly alien for him, and I think he, he got done a couple of times by some pace. But in terms of his distribution from deep, uh, I thought he was really useful and and far superior to to Chiellini in that aspect. And then obviously in midfield, there's Marco Verratti, who you know, um, who was supposed to be out for the tournament, but managed to to get himself fit and ready. And you can just see that this guy's different class. You know, I mean the touches the the, the awareness, the vision. The, and he's only a small guy. People don't realise how small he is, uh, especially when you see him like, up close in the flesh. But he's just a constant, like, terrier running around and scuttling around. And I think his, uh, you know, his attachment to to yellow cards is, is quite something to behold, even though he didn't get one today. So, um, but yeah, another another interesting one. And then obviously Pessina got the goal, really well taken. Bernadeschi, you know, Juve player. Chiesa, Juve player. Bellotti... No, there's just a lot of depth there and people maybe wouldn't have had them down as one of the strongest squads but when you can make eight changes and still play pretty well maybe lacking some fluidity from your first 11 but you know i was still impressed with with how they played and they still look dangerous
1: yeah, absolutely. And that that's 30 games unbeaten for Italy mm-hmm. now, um, equaling their all-time record that they set in the 1930s when they were the absolute powerhouse. I always think it's um it's quite amusing, actually, when you come into tournaments, because essentially with international football, most people kind of just don't pay attention, like understandably, I think, don't pay attention during the qualifiers. So however that team did in the last tournament, or if they didn't get to the last tournament, everyone's kind of left with that impression. But Italy are a real oh wow, they won all their qualifiers and they're actually quite good now having not like, having not been in the last World Cup at all. What, what has been behind this resurgence for Italy, do you think?
2: Well, first of all, I think Roberto Mancini is a top-class manager um, and that's quite unusual for the international scene. Like, I spoke about this with Elliot a few pods ago. If you look at the favourites of the competition, should we say, like Belgium, uh, they obviously have Roberto Martinez, but... As good as he's done, he hasn't really won too much before. And, you know, Fernando Santos has has stayed largely in Greece and Portugal, which are hardly European powerhouses of, of a league. You know, Deschamps, obviously, Champions League finalist with Monaco in 2004, uh, league-owned winner with Marseille. But that was a long time ago. And if you look at the general standard of of the international coaches, Mancini's right up there. Um, and I think he was... You know, there's a lot of pride in the Italy job, as you can see, even before him with Antonio Conte. And he's just really gone in there and put his own mark on the team because, as most will notice, they play with 4-3-3, which is quite strange for Italy, who are wedded to the three at the back for for a long time for obvious reasons. And I think he's given people roles. He's brought some, some good young players through. Um, I think some players are peaking at the, the right time, like Jorginho, Chiro Mobile, for example. But there's also a lot of young talent that he can bring in, in the likes of Nicolo Barella, Federico Chiesa and these sorts of guys. And there's just a really nice blend in the whole squad. And I think everything's sort of coming together at the right time. And obviously you can't argue with a 30-match unbeaten run, which even in international football is, is pretty ridiculous.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I, I wonder, you mentioned Martinez there as well, I wonder if Mancini and Martinez might kickstart a bit of a trend for managers who perhaps want to rebuild their reputations in the club game mm-hmm. um, by going and managing like quite a big country. And then, because I think Martinez will probably get, maybe after the World Cup, he'll probably get a decent European job having rebuilt his reputation. I'm sure that will happen for Mancini as well. So I wonder if that might, if a lot of coaches might start to look at um things like that um so during this game you know we had the kind of the odd thing where switzerland are playing turkey at the same time and there's that kind of tension over who finishes third in this group and frankly it does look like whoever finishes third in this group goes through Mm -hmm. and and so there was that going on in the background with the goal difference between switzerland and wales albeit i don't think switzerland ever really threatened to overtake wales in general um are you a fan of this um format where some third place teams go through because i i kind of see that it it kind of it giveth and it taketh away depending on the group and it can create some exciting finishes but i was looking at this today and i was thinking this would be so much better if it was definitely top two going through and switzerland had to go and smash turkey and and I, I just felt in this group it didn't work. But I, I wonder if the concept overall, what your thoughts are on it.
2: I think you've nailed it there. I mean, obviously now people can point to some really dramatic final sort of days. As you mentioned there, there was a you know, some a lot at stake for Wales and Switzerland there with goal difference. And then if you look at some other groups, obviously there's Russia and Finland both on three, but then Denmark um, normally who would be out can still qualify and then there's Ukraine playing Austria which is basically going to be a shootout and then there's Scotland and Croatia you know who can also qualify via the third place means but for me I, I think it's kind of just it takes a lot of the jeopardy away because if you lose your first two games you should not be anywhere near the the next stage um, in my opinion, and yet there's still a big opportunity for teams to go through if they you know, win big in the last game or some results go their way with goal difference. And I just think that's kind of, you know, it's a bit ridiculous, really. I mean, even in the last Euros when Portugal went through and they didn't even win a game until the, the semi-final, you know, and it was, or was it even the final? I think they beat um, Wales an extra time in the semi-final. Mm. So it just kind of takes a... a takes a lot of the the jeopardy away from me. And I don't think there's a lot of urgency for the teams um, that maybe it would be, for example, what you said if it was literally just the top two and there were two teams like battling out straight for that second place spot, or um, I think it gives a lot of teams chances to be in the next round without pushing, you know, and I quite enjoy tournament football because in some games like in the champions league for example when there's an away goal and the other team are just going for it or you know there's like 10 minutes of just madness at the end of the game end to end because you know who's going through this could this could put this team out or a goal here could put this team out and it's just madness and i love that because things open up um but with this i i never really feel that way um and that's yeah i, I probably lean towards that it's a bit ridiculous but you know, with a with an expanded tournament, this was always going to happen. So, uh, unfortunately, it's what we've got.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I, I think we saw, particularly after the Ampadu red card, I mean, there wasn't really any prospect of why it was getting a result and it was about keeping it one mm-hmm. nil which yeah. which they did quite well albeit against an italy side that didn't really need to score again but the yeah. Wales are through um yeah. to the round of 16 mm-hmm. and they could get one of finland russia denmark or belgium has have it looks unlikely i'd say to be belgium so you know finland russia or denmark in the round of 16 is, is a decent draw for them how how far do you think this Wales team can go I don't know I it's so difficult because I didn't
2: give them a chance really in the last tournament and obviously they got to a semi-final and now I didn't really give them much of a chance again and they just they just always seem to find a way you know I think especially with the managerial change for obvious uh reasons that we that we know about with Ryan Giggs, you know, there would have been no expectation for for Robert Page to come in and guide this team to any kind of success, you know, regardless of who was picked and, and the talent within their ranks. But, you know, it's not just the typical minnows who sit back and look for the break. They, they have, you know, some really talented players and I like the midfield, I like the defence. You know, as you mentioned, they can kind of alternate between a four and a three. They've got the personnel to do it. And I think, You know, no one wants to play them because as Hungary have shown, like if you battle hard and you and you give everything on the pitch, which Wales do, it's hard for teams to beat you no matter how good the opposition are. And you can just never count them out because they've got quality that can hurt you. But if they need to dig in and grind something out, they can do it. And those two qualities in knockout football are, you know, uh, it's golden. It's, It's basically a gold ticket for you if you can put everything together. So. I think, as you mentioned, those teams that they could get, um, avoiding Belgium from that group would be an absolute result for them. And I find myself rooting for them more and more as, as the mm-hmm. tournament goes on.
1: Yeah, a, a little bit like 2016 in that respect. Yeah. Um, and let, let's talk about Italy's, well, I say Italy's chances. I, I've gone into this weird phase now where I tipped Italy before the tournament and now I feel like it's almost like a band that um that I kind of liked that everyone's discovered now, and I yeah. don't like them as much anymore. What was the and, name of their two thousand and six album? Yeah, 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 exactly. I and here's the thing: I I actually bet on them to win in two thousand and six as well. And part of my logic was not just looking at their record and everything you said about Mancini. I think is quite true. But I kind of just think if you bet on Italy about every fifteen years, that that's that tends to be what Italy do about every fifteen years. Every fifteen, sixteen years, they have yeah. a really good tournament, and I, I just kind of felt they were due in a weird way. But I, I, also have this thing where I think teams that really start quickly and and win their groups easily are not the ones that go on to win tournaments. So instead of asking you whether I, you know, whether you think Italy can win it, because I think it's clear they can, whether they will is another, uh, another subject. But they can. I wondered if you've seen or you are aware of. Perhaps a weakness or something that um something that that maybe other a better team better teams than Switzerland, Wales, and Turkey might be able to aim for Ooh,
2: I mean, having watched them in three games now, honestly, I have not really seen a team trouble them yet, which is quite alarming for anybody else um, I think they've been really solid at the back. I think they've been really good and inventive in midfield, but also secure. And going forward, they've utilised their wing-backs so well. Um, and the full-backs, particularly Spinazzola, who who hasn't obviously wasn't playing today or starting. Um, and they just look really organised and confident in everything that they're doing. And it's really difficult to pinpoint a weakness because... At the end of the day, you're kind of just clutching at straws for a team that's, you know, won every single game. But if I was to be really, you know, nitpicking, I would say I'm not sure they have many more gears to go up, if that makes sense. I, I could maybe see that in France or and even Belgium, for example. But I think Italy are just playing at a really strong, consistent level, and this is them. I think they've started brilliantly. I think they've maintained that level of performance, but I don't see them um, maybe raising their levels to have like a monstrous semi-final or something. Um, And that would be maybe one criticism from me, but I think it's really difficult to to try and pinpoint something on a technical level, for example. I don't know if you've maybe seen something different.
1: No, no, definitely not. I, I do also wonder, obviously, they played all of their group games in Rome. <clears throat> yeah and and, you know, maybe uh, if if they are drawn in a game where they take that Rome factor out, I mean, I, I'm not sure that has been a big factor, um really. Um, I, I think maybe complacency might become um their biggest enemy at some point. Or, you know, look, if they play a France or a Belgium, you know how those big games go, they could they can just they can turn on a sixpence and and you're out, and that's the end of it, kind of. Reminds me a little bit of actually of Brazil at the last World Cup in um, 2018 and I was kind of banging a drum for Brazil and they lose to Belgium and everyone says they're useless and, and actually they were quite unlucky in that Belgium game and they just got a suspension and uh, like I, I just you know that 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 can happen um, you know to anyone and I, I kind of think that might be the only thing that will stop Italy if they pick up um, a suspension to someone really key mm. um, but but yeah, I, I I think they're, yeah, I, I'm quite happy with the fact that I tipped them before the tournament. Um, let, let's come on to the other game then, um, Switzerland-Turkey. Now, um, I, I, first, actually, I'd, I want to talk about um, Shaqiri, uh, because he, he scores a, a brilliant double in this game. One on the right foot, one on the left foot. And, you know, mm-hmm. I'm looking at him and he's 29. He's had a couple of fairly underwhelming years at Liverpool and I, I'm sure he must be looking to leave and probably Liverpool would be happy to sell him this summer. What, um, I mean, first of all, what kind of club do you think that Shakiri could expect to go to next?
2: I mean, for sure, I think he, he's going to move this year. I think Liverpool essentially got from him what they wanted. I mean, it was the 12 million clause, relegation clause from Stoke, I believe, that they they signed him and he was essentially going to be um, some squad fodder <laughs> to kind of um, fill a space on the bench and for emergencies they can kind of use it in, in, in late in games or in the FA Cup and stuff like that to kind of bulk out their squad. And I think he's done exactly um, what they wanted. But, you know, you, you can't doubt his quality. I mean, as you saw today, that first goal was absolutely outrageous on his, on his weaker right foot. You know, he picked out that top corner absolutely perfectly. And I think... Maybe on a, on a two or three year deal, some German clubs will be looking at him with interest. I mean, he speaks the language, um, you know, and obviously maybe an Eintracht Frankfurt or a Wolfsburg or, or a Leverkusen, someone just below the kind of the Dortmunds, uh, the Bayerns and the RB Leipzigs, you know, maybe just that level below where he can kind of be their star player, um, maybe not with consistency there might be an issue because he's been injured a lot but I think he'd definitely be worth the gamble at like 15 million euros or something like that so um, or maybe a bit less considering the COVID market but for sure I can see him heading to a team in, in Germany but there's also Italy as well but I, I can see him in Germany for the language and you know he hasn't played there yet so yeah I, uh, for sure he's he's Switzerland's key man uh, along with Mbolo this year and I really enjoyed his his goals today.
1: Yeah, I was going to ask, um, actually, you mentioned Mbolo there, because my next question was going to be when Paul and I did this podcast last night and we were talking about Poland and we were kind of saying, I can't think of anything to say about Poland other than they have Lewandowski up front and they have Szczesny in goal. And I really don't care about or neither am I attracted to anything else in their team. And I kind of look at Switzerland and I think, well, they're clearly built around Shakiri. Um they've got Xhaka um, as well. And so I was going to ask you, especially if they go through, what else have they got? And I think you've mentioned Nimbolo there. so what what is it about him that um that you've really enjoyed in this tournament? I mean,
2: looking at Switzerland, it's strange because they should be kind of a bit more entertaining and a bit more um, sort of welcoming for the neutral eye, because you know, if you look at their squad from from head to toe, Jan a great keeper, been around in the Bundesliga. You know, there's Cher, who we know from the Premier League, Jaka, Ricardo Rodriguez, Kevin Mbabu, but yeah, they just, I don't know, they just seem a bit stale um, and you don't really expect them to to wow anybody, but I think Briel Mbolo has wowed some people in this in this tournament, particularly in in the first game. I thought he, for me, he kind of seems like an odd fit because we don't really know if he's a striker, he's played behind the striker for Gladbach, um, even on the left and he's never been a, a natural fit. They've kind of moved him around but I think in this two-striker system he kind of has license to roam around um, around uh, Soferovic who I know he scored today but he's one of the most frustrating players I've ever watched um, and he kind of likes the jewels and he can hold himself well in jewels but he can also run the channels and he's quick and he's direct and he's, you know, he's slowly adding some more consistency to his finishing and I think Obviously Shaqiri is the star quality that, that we mentioned and he pulled through today against Turkey, but, you know, always having someone else capable of producing um, is, is useful for any team and I think he can do it. For me, he doesn't really get involved in the game too much and sometimes he can go missing, but if you need a chance to be scored um he's probably one of the the two I would bet for Switzerland and I think he's he's got something that can separate you know two teams basically so um yeah keep an eye on him because he's got that match sort of winning changing quality
1: and assuming that Switzerland do go through as the third as one of the best third place teams can they go any further than the round of 16 do you think
2: <sighs> um I I would be inclined to say no, I mean, obviously it depends on who they get, but I expect more from Switzerland because they have a lot of experienced, um, you know, steady players who should be kind of comfortable in this environment, but I just don't get any inspiration from them, uh, which is, you know, I've been proven wrong before <laughs> with Germany and Turkey. But I just feel like they play within themselves a lot. And I'm not sure if that's their playing personnel or if they've kind of been instructed to be conservative. But whenever I've watched them, I've never felt like, wow, they're really putting on a show here. I mean, they should have beaten Wales. They went ahead and they didn't press down on their neck, shall we say, and Wales kind of grew back into the game. And against Italy, there was just nothing from them uh, the whole game. So um, I think... I mean, they probably deserve to be there just about ahead of Turkey who were abysmal. Um, But I don't see them going much further, no.
1: No, and it just seems to me that Switzerland go out in the round of 16 of every tournament um, (laughs) and never do anything different ever since that 2006 World Cup where they went out without actually conceding a goal, um, if I remember correctly. um, Mm -hmm. We we, we can't avoid it any longer, Phil. Um, Your boys turkey
2: my boys,
1: <laughs> I, boys. Yeah. I don't know what the turkish for well for anything is really but i definitely don't know the turkish for root and branch review um what on earth went wrong for turkey in this tournament i really have
2: no idea i think individually i couldn't think of one player maybe cengiz under um who who was you know a threat and consistently good with his control and his passing I think he was probably playing at the highest level but that was not a high bar um, really disappointed just with their defending I mean they had the joint best defensive record um, in the whole tournament and to leave having lost three games with a minus um, with a minus seven goal difference is just phew, I've, I don't even know what to say about that and defensively they were shocking attacking you know attacking wise they were really terrible i mean today they were kind of just spamming long shots it was like me on fifa and i'm frustrated and losing um i know they had that sort of opening blitz in the first five minutes when they had about four shots on target before switzerland scored and then obviously safarovic scores the first one on target for switzerland so i mean for me they improved today i did see signs of life but it was just too little too late and I think there's going to be a big inquest when they when they get back because that was not acceptable. And I think, um, obviously, there's no divine right for anybody to be um, guaranteed into the next round or, you know, to win the tournament. But having done so well in qualifying, having a number of players who came off an impressive season, you know, they had league winners in there, they had some of the best assisters in Serie A in there, they had... You know, uh, uh, defensively, some of the best young prospects in Europe, and it was just a disaster from the first minute to last. And yeah, I'm, I'm sure they've lost people a lot of money over the yep. over the course of these seven days. So yeah, um, not a lot of happy people with Turkey, that's for sure.
1: Yeah, I was <clears throat> I was just about to say that actually. I think I think there are some valuations that have gone down on the back of this. Um, but that's Group A wrapped up, so Italy definitely through Wales definitely through Switzerland, probably through, mm-hmm. um but that will shake out in the next couple of days. Turkey, the first team. well, I know North Macedonia were knocked out, weren't they? Yeah. but so yeah, Turkey um the, the finishing on Nilpois mm-hmm. um indefinitely. So tomorrow, um we're finishing group C, I believe, which is Ukraine, Austria, mm-hmm. and Netherlands Macedonia. Uh, And then in Group D, we've got Russia, Denmark and Finland versus Belgium as the eight o'clock games, eight o'clock UK time. Um, Which of those games do you have your eye on? I think Ukraine, Austria could be really decent, actually. Um,
2: They're both on the, on the dreaded three points. Um, Austria won the, uh, their second game, uh, sorry, their first game against North Macedonia and Ukraine won their second game uh, against North Macedonia. So, you know, they'll both fancy themselves. I think Ukraine have maybe a higher ceiling in the whole tournament than Austria do, even though Austria have a lot of talent um, within their ranks. But as we spoke about on, on our first pod together, there was just something lacking from them, especially with David Alaba being forced further and further back. Um, and I just think Ukraine are well coached with with more potential um, to really change the game. I think they have more avenues of doing it, whether that be from Andriy um Ruslan Malinovsky coming from deep. I think Roman Yaremchuk has really impressed, but also they're quite strong defensively as well. And I think they could maybe hold their own um, against Austria, who have maybe uh, fired a few blanks, shall we say, even though they, they won the first game uh, against North Macedonia with three goals. So I think for me, that's the standout game. But obviously... Um, you know, there's a lot of, a lot on the line for um, Finland and, and Russia and Denmark. So I would really, I would love Denmark to, to be one of those best third place finishers. I think it would be such an amazing story, um, especially after everything they've been through. Um, not only as a squad, not only as as friends, but also as a, as a nation. I think it would be such an incredible story. But there's also Finland, if they could pull off something against Belgium, you know, unlikely um, but yeah, I think we'd have to see how those play out. But for me, the the, the one to watch um, is the earlier kickoff, Ukraine against Austria.
1: Yeah, I, I do wonder with that game, though, if it's level with 20 minutes to go, like a draw probably carries both teams through. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do wonder if you'll get that. I, I think a little bit like we got in Italy, Wales today, where that last half an hour was... Yeah, okay, one is kind of fine for both of us. I, I I think for me I'm Russia V Denmark is the mm-hmm. one I'm really looking forward to because yeah, for all the reasons you say, I I really wanna kind of I'd love to see Denmark play like they played against Belgium. If they play like they played against Belgium, I think they'll win quite well. And particularly if they're chasing goal difference, because they're on minus two. So they probably need to bring that up to a plus. So Mm -hmm. they probably need goals. And I think if Denmark can get an early one, I think that would be a great game to watch. If they're thinking we've got to win three nil, that that might be where you get a little bit back from that, that third place spot, but um yeah I, I think that's the game i really have my eye on but uh yeah look, look, looking forward to i think i'll watch i'll definitely watch ukraine austria i'm not going to bother with netherlands versus macedonia to be honest um but anyway um thanks very much um again phil and um th- uh, thanks for your time and for your insight no no my pleasure
2: it's always always good to chat about things and actually it's quite fun for me because i can Obviously, you watch the games, but I can maybe look at things a bit differently. So it's always nice to come and talk about it with someone else because they can always say something different, you know. So um, I'm enjoying them. I'm enjoying doing these, and I hope uh, I hope they're going down well with the with the listeners.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And and for me, like I get an excuse to watch these games, um, and I can tell my wife it's work um okay. which is absolutely fantastic win-win um, yeah <laughs> but anyway that that's kind of that's the end of my presenting stint i think anyway um but elliot will be back uh, tomorrow night um once him and his once he and his long-suffering wife are back from their weekend away um and so yeah elliot and phil will be with you reviewing monday's games tomorrow night um until then thanks very much for listening and see you on the other side